Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled, Quest for Meaning. I want to take some time today to review the end goal of God's purpose and his shorter term objectives that will result in him attaining his goal, his way. His goal is to establish the kingdom of God to which there will be no end. The, sh the shorter term objectives are the steps taken to achieve the end goal. We are somewhere in that process and part of that process. The implementation of God's plan began with the creation of man, followed by the interaction, his interaction with individuals as recorded in his word, the adoption of ancient Israel, their efforts and his interactions with them, their failure, the conclusion of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament with the birth of the Son of God, his death, and with that, the implementation of the New Testament. And the process continues and will continue until it is determined that it is done. And this witness before man, demonstrating man's inability to rule himself, will be completed. And the reign of the King, Jesus Christ our Lord, will be established. Then the millennium and the final judgment in a world inhabited by spirit beings with eternal life. But that's not the end of the story because it says there is no end to the kingdom of God. It would be nice to say, here's the rest of the story, but I or no other man knows because it has not been revealed. But we, right here and now, are part of those short-term objectives being worked out toward the completed goal of the establishing of the kingdom of God here on earth. And as we go through our lives trying to lend ourselves to become what he wants us to become, there are many bumps in the road. It's been said, rightly or wrongly, you decide. The greatest crisis in a man's life is the quest for meaning, the quest for significance. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is there any value to it? To quote a song title from many years ago by Peggy Lee, is that all there is? Solomon spoke on this subject in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the summation in chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, speaking of the death of man, he says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the, can't quite see it there on the screen, it's going off the screen. I have to go to the old-fashioned way here. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanities. And he continues in verses 9 and 10, how the preacher and he nonetheless taught the people with wisdom and truth. And he concludes in verses 
12 and 14, 12 through 14. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring forth, shall bring every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon seems to be experiencing somewhat of a crisis for meaning. All that he did, the great works that he did, and at the time of his death he realized it would be going into the hands of other men. There was no permanent future, so what was it really worth to him? What tangible benefit? Why should he do it? But is there no benefit to it for us today? You see, because that's part of the crisis. The crisis for meaning can happen to anyone at any age, any economic standard of living. The crisis can manifest itself in various ways. People drop out of society. People become criminals. People join a cause where they start a cause that they can dedicate themselves to. It manifests itself religiously in an array of feelings and actions. I must do something to be acceptable to him. I'm not good enough. Or I must do more over and above what the scriptures say. We seek confirmation of our relationship with him and to establish where do I really stand with him? And what I'm doing is right? Am I really his child? And it's human to experience this, and there's nothing wrong with this experience and this, this confirmation. How we handle it, though, is important. Because how we handle it can propel us to a better relationship with him or can send us off in a direction that is also vanity. There are many forms of religion that embrace people that are on this quest. Some of these embrace beliefs that are extreme intellectually, physically, and emotionally. They condone murder, heresy, various forms of pomp and circumstance, and forms of religion, and associated rituals, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, replacing faith demonstrated by my works with works to prove I am worthwhile, I have significance, I have meaning. Using one's own devices, one's own efforts, and one's own inventions. The individual derives meaning and significance, and the quest is satisfied, and in doing so, they set up a god of their own invention. In 2 Corinthians 10.18, it says, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. I want to read briefly from an article from Insight Magazine. It was reported over 14 years ago, October 2nd, year 2000. United Nations plans to build a global religion. Bawat Jain, J-A-I-N, Secretary General of the Millennial Peace Summit, says he thinks all religions and spiritualists, as well as assorted doctors and medicine men and all the rest, draw all their wisdom from the same source. It matters little whether one worships a downed World War II aircraft with a cargo cult, or a snake-handling Baptist, or a Roman Catholic, 
all religions are equal. Jane went on to tell an international meeting of 1,000 delegates that religion needs to accept the validity of all beliefs to attain world peace. World peace by man's plan, man's methods, man's idea, not God's. He goes on to say that they're planning to set up what is called United Religious Zones. And in these zones, no divergence will be tolerated. It's interesting, will not be tolerated. So apparently, it will be enforced. I suppose either what? Will they kill you? Will they throw you in a concentration camp? Or will they excommunicate you into a third world country? Or what will they do? Send you off to an island? like they did John. Associated with this is the United Religions Initiative, the URI, of which a popular evangelist, minister in the United States, pastor, actually I shouldn't say pastor, he has a church of 20,000, Rick Warren. He has embraced this and actually now is the poster boy, poster child for the United Nations efforts. Um, Rick said at a meeting before this group that God does not want men to have religion. God wants men to have a relationship with him. And the problem with that is religion is what tells you how to acquire relationship with God. It is not arbitrarily selected by your own initiatives and your own methods. The URI has over a million members in 84 countries uh, around the world, and their activities are somewhat limited right now from uh, 10 years ago when the whole thing got started. They've made very little progress here in the United States. However, there is one uh, organization here in North Carolina, or I think it is. Yes, URI of Henderson County, North Carolina. United Religious Initiative in Henderson County is a local manifestation of the global grassroots, grassroots interfaith network committed to pr promoting daily interfaith cooperation, ending religious motivated violence and creating culture for peace, justice, and healing of the earth and all living beings. They have 72 members and their action area is focused on youth. Why wouldn't they? It's the future. But there are other groups, humanists, utopitarians, Mother Earth, and these all support organizations, or these organizations all support the idea of bringing out a perfect world through man's own efforts, excluding God's, God and his principles and himself. But these aren't the only hazards that lie before us. There are some churches that are calling themselves Christ, Christian or Christ, that they call follow Christ, that support these organizations. I want to take a quick look at just one way one little facet of it, because there's, there's, there's many different facets to it. 
And if we're not careful, it can send us off the road and into the ditch. So what does God really want from us? And that question in itself has many answers to it. It all depends how you're looking at it. But since I'm talking about the goal, the plan of God, he wants us to listen to him, be part of his plan, participate in his method to bring about his plan. And the most basic part of it is found in Genesis 1, 28. So let's start there. He says in Genesis 1, 28, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It was funny because I think it was someone here earlier this morning says, we only get out of something that which we put into it. And that's a true statement. Solomon has another thought on this. If we go to Ecclesiastes 9, 9 through 10, he says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, of, thy va of your vanity, which she has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity, for that is your portion in this life. In thy labor which you do under the sun, whatsoever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. For there is no work, device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither, whither you go. So that's, that's a good principle. And perhaps a quest for meaning exists within a Christian because we don't take the immediate tasks before us with all of our might. We don't undertake them with all of our might. With the realization, and here's the key, that through these activities, coupled with the application of spiritual principles, he is creating a new creature in us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, it says, in that you study, and the word study here is Strong's number 5389. There's several definitions there. I'm going to reference the one, strive earnestly. In that you strive earnestly to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your hands in today's age and your computer or your computer as we commanded you. In that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. In that you may have lack, not, lack of nothing. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the word study comes up again. This time it's a different Strong's number. It's 4704, which is to make haste or give diligence. So make haste, give diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These all are somewhat in contradiction with some of the things that are being said out there by some of those that I've already mentioned. <clears throat> Speaking to the Jews, Jesus said in John 5.39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And he continues in verse 40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. And we'll see later that one of the ways 
that we come to Christ is through the law. It's one of the purposes of the law is to bring us to Christ. In John 15, 26, Jesus said, when, But when the comfort is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So, we have God's Spirit inside of us, and his Spirit testifies of us, just like the scriptures testify to the people of years ago. So we have a, a twofold impact upon us. We can read the scriptures, but we also have God inside of us, his Holy Spirit, further testifying and guiding us. <coughs> Continuing in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I had said unto you. And continuing in, in verse 17 of John 14, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And that's why they have their own plan that is basically embraced by globalization. We have globalization economically. We have globalization that they're pursuing politically. And as we just read, they are pursuing it or are beginning to pursue it religiously. All of the signs point to the conclusion that is described in Revelation 18 and 19. In John 14, 17, I'm going to read that. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seems him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwells within you and shall be in you. You can't get any more personal than that, to have a personal relationship with someone that is dwelling within inside of you. In 1 Timothy 1, 5, now the end, now in the NIV, the word end is written goal. So I'm going to put goal in there instead. Now the goal of the commandments is charity, but of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. Which is interesting because in 1 John 4.16, he tells us another little tidbit here. As we have known and believed the love of God, the love that God has for us, God is love. Connected back to the verse that we just read in 1 Timothy 1.5, now the end goal of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Charity out of a pure heart. God is love. The end of the commandments is love. He that, continuing, continuing in 1 John 4.16, and he that dwelleth in love dwells in God, in God in him. The goal of, of the commandments is to make us like Christ. And the support that we get and the guidance that we get to facilitate that is God's spirit within us. John 4, 24. God is a spirit. And they, they that worship him must worship him in, a, in, a, in spirit and in truth. 
We can't worship him with pomp and circumstances and downed World War II aircraft or snake-handling Baptists or whoever wants to be handling snakes. So how does law-keeping fit into God's plan? You see, law-keeping is not an end in itself. It's an integral part of the development of the new creature. Let's just first take a look at one law that governs inter interactions between men, not necessarily from a biblical perspective, but from a human perspective. Let's look at murder. What are the negative impacts associated with murder, whether it's a biblical law or commandment or not? It creates widows, creates orphans, denies other the benefits of that person's life, perhaps even the breadwinner of the family, deprives society and culture of the contribution that that person would have made had he been allowed to continue his life. And it sets in motions revenge and hate. So broken law directly contributes to the sorrows of society. The law defines correct behavior that results in positive interpersonal relationships between people. If you don't murder, you don't have the negative impacts that result of murder. And the same concept applies with the laws that govern man's relationship with God. The law defines correct behavior that results in a positive interpersonal relationship with God. What is, and what does God want? Does he want you to stand before him and confess, I never murdered? That's not what he wants. He wants you to stand before him and say, I never even thought of murdering. I never even had the degree of anger or hate that, that, that I thought ever even entered my heart. That's what he wants. A couple purposes of the law I already mentioned. One, Galatians 3.24, is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And in Psalms 119.105, it says, It is a light unto my feet a guide. I have a crisis in my life. It's an ongoing crisis. I've had other smaller crises. But this one, it's been there a long time, ever since I became a Christian, I think. It affects everything I do. You may have it too. It's a failure to fully be under the influence I want to be under the influence, even when I'm driving. But I'm not talking about alcohol or drugs. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't force us to do anything. It leads softly and quietly. And where it leads, we're to follow. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. 
And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Continuing. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And continuing. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And so it is, as we go through our daily activities, replenishing the earth, raising our children, our daily activities, what we may on occasion think to be dull, uninteresting, he is working out his purpose. The spiritual application of the law is one step in bringing about God's goal. To bring about a family of spirit beings living on this earth with him. In Isaiah 65, I'm going to read a number of these verses, 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Notice heavens is plural. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind, but be you glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I re will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more an infant of days, nor an old man that has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inherit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people. Mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth the trouble, for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw by the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. But you know, he mentions the word die, and I'm not going to go into any technical or higher level criticisms on the passages that I'm reading, but he mentions the word die in there. So I want to go back to Revelation 21, 1 through 7, because he, there he talks about there will be no more death. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So we don't go to heaven. God brings Jerusalem down here. We stay on earth. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Here's his goal, his plan. 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be his people, and God shall be with them and be their God, and he shall wipe away all the tears of their eyes, and there shall no more, no more be death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my people. When we look up into the heavens at night, we sing many dots of light. We call them stars, but many of them are not. Many of them are solar systems and galaxies. The astronomers estimate that there are 107 billion observable galaxies and they contain a minimum of an estimated one with 24 zeros behind it. One with 24 zeros behind it. They expect that's really a little on the low side. They say they can now observe 46 billion years out. And recently it was reported that the information they have says that the universe is still expanding and it's expanding at an ever-increasing rate still. And that's significant because it blows the Big Bang Theory out of the water, so to speak. Because you see, when there's an explosion, the velocity of the matter being expelled from the center is at its maximum. It can't go any faster than that. All the energy is expelled. So everything should slow down. It's not slowing down, folks. So the next question, from Art Williams, of course, is if they can see out 46 billion light years, light years, what happens if you go from there out another 46 billion light years? What's out there? Is there another universe that we don't know about? The answer is we don't know. Don't say there isn't and don't say there is. The answer is we don't know. There's no revelation, at least that I know of, in the Bible that says. Another question that I have made, got somebody really mad at me on this one, is how do we know this is the first time God's ever done this? God's been around for eternity. How long is eternity? What's the biggest number you can possibly think of in your mind? A billion, trillion, and he's finally getting around to creating man for the first time? Where did 24 elders come from in Revelation? Hmm. We don't know the answers to any of those. I'm not giving you any answers. I'm just asking the questions. I do it, and I want to ask the question because I myself find it inspirational. We have behind, can you, can you get the next one down, Brian, the next picture down? From, that, from NASA that shows the, I want to show our galaxy and what it looks like from space, from a picture that was taken from one of the NASA satellites. 
because it's, a, it's 120,000 light years across our galaxy. And I like to speculate on this just because I find it inspiring. It's 120,000 light years across our galaxy. And even if we travel at the speed of light, and even if we have suspended animation, once you go out on that venture, the radio waves that you have to communicate with only go out about two or three light years, and then it's lost in space noise. So once you go out there, you are on your own, bud. Don't call for help. There's no help coming. Here is what our galaxy looks like from a space vehicle. Out in space, they took this picture. Now, you might not be able to see it very well, but our sun is right about here. That word there, which you can't see it very well, says sun. That's where we are. 120,000 light years all the way across. I thought that was an amazing photograph. Because I like to speculate, and this is, there's nothing in the scriptures about it. I just find it inspirational to think that in the scriptures it does say man will be rewarded at being a ruler over five cities or a ruler over ten cities. Heavenly Jerusalem comes down. We're all spirit beings. Then what? Perhaps, and this is Art Williams 1.1, there's nothing in the scriptures, perhaps we will go out and populate the planets. Perhaps instead of being a ruler over five cities, you will be a ruler over five planets of your own solar system. Or ten planets. Maybe you rule over a galaxy. Perhaps our sons and daughters will have other planets in our own solar system with their own planets. And what will we do on, this plan on these planets? Will we perhaps create our own Adam and Eve? And the, home, the human cycle starts over, over again. Because one thing that does happen, I think, once we become all spirit beings, we don't need the technology anymore. If I want to communicate to you, I can, you got it. So, in closing, don't allow yourself to fulfill the quest for meaning by works to prove yourself worthwhile that are not supported by scripture or deny the power or the leadership of the Holy Spirit or that replace God's plan or God's way with man's way, man's plan for the best place on earth. Follow God, look to the future, and think about things that inspire you. I'm inspired by the stars. Hopefully it inspires you too.